Hello, everybody. I wasn't ready. I was going to have an intro and stuff. I just went straight in. <laughs> um, well, it's good morning to everybody for me and good afternoon wherever you are in the world. Um, it's nice to be here and nice to be invited and nice to have people to talk to and nice to um, know everybody and have met everyone. You know, it's been about a year, I feel like, since this meeting started ish. It's getting close. It must be because it wasn't long after I started the AHA meeting that this meeting started. <clears throat> and just, I don't know how we found each other or how you guys found me or, or one, one day you wandered into my meeting and we just met and the rest is a little bit of history at this point. It seems like that um, we have these spaces now that we can hang out in. And, and it's been really interesting to me that at this point, you know, we're far enough in where people find us and they are just kind of, they're excited. They're happy some, a lot of times, but a lot of times also, they're also just like, well, I just found it. I mean, naturally it would exist. Like this space just naturally should exist because I think it should, but unfortunately it, it doesn't. And it didn't, you know, before this meeting started and before the other meetings started, there was no safe place for a secular minded codependent person to go hang out and meet other people who felt similarly it didn't exist you know it can it's amazing how quickly we can come to take something for granted that it, it exists but it doesn't it's through labor and and hard work and dedication to the to this effort that it's really important to me that um there are spaces like this for people to share and learn and not feel um, oppressed by someone else's, you know, perspective on the universe. And um, it seems to me that there's a lot of people uh, I'm, I'm really happy to have found that there are a lot of people who feel similarly that there needs to be safe places. You know, it is oppressive sometimes to go to a place and be told to change your perspective, you know, when you're a suffering codependent coming into rooms like these, the last thing you might want to be here to, to hear is that you're defective in some way, and that you need to be changed in some way suddenly, and you need your whole understanding of life and the universe is 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 uh, off. Not only all your relationships screwed up and you're miserable, but also, oh, your your whole causality of the universe is wrong as well, you know. So, anyways. Um, I have a special privilege that when I come to this meeting, I get to hear my own words parroted back to me because Miriam was kind enough when she was starting the meeting to allow me to share my meeting opening, you know, things that I had written with her. And then it just blows me away that I can listen to my own words written back to me. You know, some of the meeting, you'll notice the similarities in some of the, the meeting readings. And um, that's because Miriam did that. And it just, it touches me every single time I come because it just, it's friendship to me. It is sharing. It's just the journey is together. So it just, it means a lot to me. Anyways, um, I'm going to start a timer so I don't talk too long. I have a bad habit of speaking way too long. Um, so my story as a codependent has changed over time. You know, I used to see it really as a, as a kind of a victim story where I would see my own childhood kind of in a way of being victimized, which certainly there is an argument, you know, as a child that I was subjected to behavior that was really not acceptable. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. 
it wasn't acceptable behavior, but I've come to learn that um, I don't see myself quite so much as a victim anymore, that I look at this experience of having been um, misunderstood and treated, I don't know, rather poorly, I guess, as a child and, and just had a lot of hard times from the age of like three to seven or so it was really rough. And then, you know, the rest of my childhood had its ups and downs, but um, I'd say that was a very formative experience because anytime you're a child and you're in that time period, you really don't have much of a choice, but to believe what you're told when you're five years old, your world perspective is entirely informed by your parents. And so mine was informed by my mother. And I came to believe that I had serious issues, that I had real problems, you know, that I needed to hide from the world, that I was not safe for me to be myself, and that I needed to behave in ways to please other people, particularly my mother, in order to keep her from flipping out or doing whatever it was. But I always felt like I was on edge and just afraid of what was happening. But I don't see it so much as my mother's fault anymore. I don't blame her for it. I see that my mother was doing what she had learned from her parents, who probably learned it from their parents, who learned it from their parents, who learned it from their parents, who learned it from a string of people who passed well through the Stone Age and into cave people, you know? So what does anybody know about the right way to live? We expect our parents to be so perfect and to know everything, but they don't know anything better than I do. And I understand that today. And so with, I have my own children. So looking back, I don't blame her quite so much. I've actually, over the last year or so, since we've been doing secular codependency, come to form an opinion that I'm just a sensitive person, that many people who show up in codependent rooms are just sensitive people who have some really bad life skills, life coping skills, who have a bad way of dealing with the sensitivity and whose sensitivity may have been misunderstood very badly as a child. You know, for me, that's really what it comes down to. I was a super sensitive kid. I did not like a lot of things, particularly being out in public and people and things like that, that still can be hard for me, were really difficult for me when I was three and I couldn't express it and my mother didn't get it. And I, you know, so there was a big, I see that as just a big, it's a disaster. I mean, it was a disaster. There's no way to put it, but so it's the rest of my life, I feel like, to make up for it and to deal with it and come to terms with it. But it's been a really important shift for me to no longer walk around talking about my mother was a narcissist who, you know, abused me. That's one framing. That's one framing of the story. That's the framing I spent 43 odd years telling. And I did. And I've gone through it and I've plumbed that. And I have mind you know forgotten memories and i've been through this and i've thought about it a lot where this came from um but it really helped me to think about it a little bit differently and to, to take the blame off my mother we're gonna help me not hate her and not be upset and learn to love her and and cherish her while she's still alive and and thankfully she still is and we've become better friends because of my understanding and my ability to learn to accept her a little bit um Anyways, that's really important to me, and I feel like it's very important for any codependent to really think about where in their history did this emerge? When, what patterns of my life am I reacting out from my childhood 
because it's almost always that there's a, a sensitive person who has been traumatized in some measurable way in some debilitating often way um so you know codependent is not a really well-defined term you know we don't have a list of that says like, well, you're one of us, you know, we can't do a test and measure and, and get some answers from you that could tell you so I could diagnose you. There's no DSM entry for it. So it's, it's really almost like a home sleuthing effort. This is like the one of the largest home sleuthing, you know, now internet sleuthing efforts to figure out what is it? Where did it come from? What do I have to live with it? And what can I do to, to try to manage it? And, and live with this thing that's built into me, you know? Um, I went on in my my life, I, I was a very lucky child for the most part. I had a very nice schooling and that sort of thing. So I did get a good education and that sort of stuff. So I don't have a, a really sad story about living in the gutters or anything. I just have that and that's, but it's ruled my life for sure. Um, I went on to marry a lady who was much like my mother, who treated me much the same way that um, my mother treated me when I was young. In that really formative time, you know, I, got, I found a woman who would treat me exactly the same way, berate me, belittle me, shame me, you know, control me, dominate me, manipulate me. And I, um, just in the process of divorcing her, it's taken me three and a half years and next Tuesday, I have a divorce trial that will finally be the end of that drama. Um, I left her in the summer of 2018 after really a brutal, brutal number of years. I had one kid and it was bad. And then I had two kids and then it was worse. And then I had three kids and it was a living nightmare. Um, she just got meaner and meaner and meaner as time went on. I, you know, sure, she treated me badly in the beginning and that was great. But she really amped it up. And by the end of it, I was a living mess, just a disaster. I was so just my feelings were such a mess. I'd been compressing them and hiding them for so long. And I was such a just rolling disaster. I felt awful all the time. I would have panic attacks on the way home every day from work. I just was it was hell. So I um eventually found a good therapist who convinced me that it was my job to look after myself and take care of myself and to take steps to really start to do something. I mean, I was, had to be convinced for a while, but basically she put me on the, the domestic violence protocol. I mean, save your money, hide your stuff, you know, start making a plan. Where are you going to go? All of the standard things that you would do in a domestic violence situation, which was really hard for me to get my head around as a six foot two, 200 pound man, um, living in a normative society and thinking of myself normally and trying to think of myself normally and, and really just did not know why I was suffering so much. It all came to a head eventually, and it was really a disastrous kind of just full on collapse of the situation, it hit full on rock bottom. It just got to be a complete disaster that had a final ending that meltdown that ended. I ended up in an IOP program where I learned about codependency and um, 
I'm so glad I did. You know, it was one of those for a lot of people, when you get the checklist of patterns of behavior and you start to read them, it was just one after another. It was like the greatest hits of my secrets, the greatest hits of my behavior. It's like, wow, I'm really good at that one and that one and that one and that one. And damn, do I do that and that and that. And holy shit, I do all these things. Um, and just the revelation to me was so huge. I, it still is something that is rolling through my life. It's been three and a half years now, and it's still something that gives me regular and from new information, regular awakenings, something I get from going to the meetings that comes out new all the time. But when it first came to me, I just was stunned. So I, I went to AA for a little while, but that was just helped me stop drinking and it did. And I still don't drink and I'm, I'm grateful for that. But um, once I found Coda, it was, it was all over for me. And I really just got into it and I have been into it every day working on codependency for the last three and a half years. There has not been a time when I'm not thinking about it, doing something about it, um, just turning, thinking about how to do better, how to live better, how to get over this, how to work on it. Um, and I went to Coda in person for a long time and for a couple of years before the pandemic. And it was a very small meeting, just a few of us and maybe three or four or five sometimes and crazy day we'd have six people and almost always all women um and me and um which is fine but it's very small and um not really religious i live in chicago it's not a very it's a pretty liberal place so there was not a lot of religious talk that went on in the meetings and um it really didn't bother me i just kind of glossed over it and i did spend a lot of time with one of my friends who I did meet there, a guy who, um, and talking about the God thing just over and over and over. I just would have dinners and he would, we would talk about it and I would think about it and I would think about like, what am I going to do? And I would, I really wanted to work the steps. I was really wanting to get over it. I really wanted to find, you know, answers. I really wanted to do it. So I really wanted to work it, but I just, step two was just killing me. I just, could not bring myself to do it. And I never did. I never did steps two and three. I just still cannot really get over them entirely. And so I spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time with him talking about it. I talked to other people about it. I briefly would try, try, try to do the God thing for a minute and just be like, this is ridiculous. There's no way I'm going to do that. So eventually I just kind of gave up and I said, you know what, I'm just going to go and I'm just going to listen to the good stuff and I'm going to the God thing. I'm just going to whatever and keep going. And then when the pandemic hit, it went online and I just, <clears throat> as there's a whole more people, a lot more people show up and they're all different, different places, not from Chicago and, and not city people and people all over the world and definitely people from like deep Southern United States, which is a different place from where I live who have very different perspectives on life. And, um, who also, you know, sometimes have a, a cause to be proselytizing. And so it's, it's a, just a different, and it's not something that was really comfortable to me. I, when I go to a meeting or I go to a post on a WhatsApp or something and I post something like, oh, I'm having a terrible time with my codependency and I'm doing, you know, really this and that. And I wish I could 
you know, do this. And someone responds to me with something that's like, oh, just give it up to your higher power. It's just like, it's daggers in my skull. I just cannot get my head into it. And I, it's not helpful to me. It doesn't help me. I need practical advice. I need someone telling me, you know, <clears throat> things that I can do, skills that I'm learning, new things. I need to pick up new behaviors. I got to get rid of these patterns and find new ways to live. I don't need to be told to go talk to a higher power. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So I went on and did that for most of 2020. And I was trying, trying, I just, not a lot of friends. Stuff during the pandemic was very slim and um, feeling very lonely a lot of the time. So I really needed CODA and I, but I was also going and feeling really bad about CODA and feeling bad about myself because of my going to CODA, that it was actually making me worse. I had to be like, you know, I think I need to quit. I think for my mental health and for my well-being, I need to quit CODA, which was like, <clears throat> made no sense to me. Like, why should I have to quit this thing in order? Like, I need this thing, but I feel like I have to quit this thing. Like, I, I tried really hard to do it, and I needed it. So it just left me at a point where I was really at a low point in December 2020, thinking about what I was going to do. And I, so I went on the internet and I looked around and I went searching for um, agnostic atheist codependency materials. And, um, I was stunned. There weren't any, there was nothing. I went looking for atheist codependency on Google, nothing, agnostic codependency, nothing. I mean, a few Reddit posts, like really it was slim. There's nothing out there for my type of person. And I said, this just can't be, it can't possibly be, but it sure is. And it sure was, there was zero resources. There were no pages on the internet on this topic. Um, and so I said, okay, well, let me go look. I go look and I find the AA stuff. And there's boatloads, right? There's tons of the AA. There's the full thriving community of AA people. And I said, oh, well, maybe I'll just start reading their materials and I'll start with that. And so I read that. I, that's how I got the Jeffrey Munn book. And I read that and that was just like, oh, I just it hit me like a lightning bolt. I, I just, it was an, an aha moment, which is part of where I got the name for the group that I could, that there was a way to do codependency, that we could do it, and it wasn't going to have to be religious, that we could find a way to do it, that this book proved to me, and I don't know why it just never occurred to me before, that there that, that this could happen, but it just hit me that like, oh, it's just holy shit, there is going to be a way, we can do this, here's the outline of it, and so I just said, I'm going to go to my CODA meeting, my regular, and I'm just going to ask around and see if anybody wants to come read this book with me. Because I was so excited. I didn't even really think about it. The fact that people get really touchy about that kind of thing. Um, so I took it to the meeting and I just asked kind of awkwardly. I was nervous. I just said, hey, you know, I found this book. I just want to know if anybody wants to come hang out with me and talk about it. And the host got really bent out of shape about it she was like oh matt's coming here he wants to steal people from the meeting he wants to start his own thing and i was like that wasn't even my intention i just wanted to find people to talk about the book with me <laughs> and but she reacted so badly and then it got all out of line there was cross talking there was 
you know, back and forth. There was shit being posted in the Zoom chat. And that was just, it went off the rails. And then there was a girl even got on and, and like scolded me a little bit. And, and then uh, there was reaction against that then, because I was a regular around there. And I did the same yakking thing I do around these parts. And uh, I just got crazy. It was really a mess. So, but I did find four people who came and wanted to meet with me. And um, they were like, well, what do you want to do? I mean, what's the plan? <laughs> and I was like, I, I don't know. I just was going to read this book. You want to read the book? And they were like, oh, but yeah, well, are we going to do meetings? And I, we're going to have meetings, right? And we're going to do this plan. And, and how's it going to go? And, and okay. And, and it just rolled from there. It was just, I, then I felt compelled. I was like, well, I guess I got to get things organized. And then it was like set up meetings. And then it was right re- meeting materials. And then it was just, it's been rolling. It's been, that was January 13th. 2021 so it's the year passed already and we've been continuing to just snowball it just continues growing and miriam has been growing and and all of her meetings been awesome and then i've met all the tusnua people and it's been really cool and i just want to say a little bit about what we've learned in this time you know since we took a uh a year the last year doing these secular meetings and we, we stopped reading the Coda book. I mean, we just kind of put that to the side. We've read it maybe once or twice, a little bit from it. Aside from that, we started reading other things. You read the Jeffrey Munn book. We read a bunch of other literature, sometimes dabbled in like Buddhist stuff. We, we just read a lot of different things to get new ideas, to bring new ideas in because the Coda Blue Book and all that was written in the 80s. You know, this is 1980s thinking. We're in the 2020s now. We have the benefit of all kinds of new thought and there's been new research. There's all kinds of new information, scientific information to draw on, right? So this codependency stuff is like a home sleuth organization. The Code of Blue Book is not written by therapists and, and, and psychologists. It's written by people who like, I have really weird problems. I don't really understand them. I have some ideas about what works on these things and we're going to write a book about it and have meetings and talk about it. And that's been awesome but it's in my mind not the end of the road there's been all this stuff over the last 30 years we have learned all kinds of things about about psychology about the way people work we have all this other literature to draw on why not use it and come up with our own new plan and our own new program that doesn't deal with this higher power thing at all and it's been awesome for me, it's been so exciting. It's changed my life, honestly, way more than anything we did in all the CODA stuff for years beforehand. What we've come up with in the last year and what we talk about on the regular basis has been so helpful because we're not talking about giving away our power anymore, we're not giving it to a higher power. We're getting power ourselves. We're seizing what power we do have and using that to overcome our problems. You know, when we took away the God stuff, you can't just say, no, that's not right. You have to replace it with something. You cannot be a negative ideology. Negative ideologies don't live. They don't survive. You have to be a positive. You have to stand for something. You can't just be anti the establishment. You have to be for something. So that's been really important to be writing our own steps 
to come up with our own program that describes our way of getting over codependency. And for me, it's been really important. I started with those Jeffrey Munn steps and just changing, you know, and step three in the old stuff says we got to surrender our will to a God or a higher power, which is always just ridiculous to me. I don't understand it. I don't give my will to imaginary things. So for me, the rephrasing in the Jeffrey Munn is that we let go of control. We focus only on, on what we can control. And so I've really actually just put that into practice. I, I went through, I spent some time, I just working on the steps <clears throat> and I just thought about what I do control and what I don't control. And I came to the conclusion eventually over time, I just putting things in buckets. Do I have control over that? Do I not? Do I have control over that? Do I not? You know, and just sorting my whole world into whether or not I have control over it or not. And then setting the intention and being really diligent about focusing only on the things that I can control. And, and learning eventually the line between what I do and don't control is not outside my body. It's inside my mind. My well, parts of my mind are not fully under my control. And I have come to accept that. And that's totally okay. I don't have control over myself entirely. Sometimes I am willed to do things that I don't necessarily want to do just by my physiology, just by the world, by my training, by all kinds of things. And that, that has really been really a very important process for me to do. And I encourage anybody to do that. I turned off the news. I quit Facebook. Focus on what I can control. I don't control the news. I don't control Facebook. I don't control Twitter. You know, I don't control those things. They're inputs of garbage. You know, they can be filling my head with trash. So I, I focus on what I can control, which is my immediate little world. I, and I decide for myself what I want to do with it and what I want to do and what I want to engage and who I want to help. And it's just, I'm controlling that. I'm controlling the decision part about what I want to do with myself and what I want to do with my life. And that has been hugely important. Um, for me to do that process. And the other thing that's really come out of this stuff is how much, how important self-acceptance is and learning to love the self. That is the critical skill. This is the most important thing, countering the negative voices, countering, constantly countering the negative voices. So these two things combined has just really changed my entire existence. I have been feeling pretty good for months now where I just don't feel so troubled. I've been feeling relaxed, calmed, just equanimity quite a bit. I can almost bring myself there through meditation and through practicing these things, practicing the fact, just saying to myself, I don't control that. Don't control that. And letting it go then. If I don't control it, let it go. And then be nice to myself about it. So I, I'm accepting of myself, kind to myself. I say nice things to myself. Try not to denigrate myself in public. Try not to denigrate myself at all. Not apologizing when I don't need to. You know, countering those negative voices is just constant chronic task that needs always to have attention. Even though that voice in my head says I am the worst possible being in the world, I know that's not true. I know that's not true at all. And I counter it. So I counter all the time, the voice in my head that says I'm worthless. I counter it. I said, no, nope, 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 nope. That's not true. We know that's not true. No, that's not true. Part of what's gotten me to, to, to be able to say that and say that strongly to myself, look in the mirror and say that, say that to myself now, 
without fear, without shame, without feeling funny about it either. To be able to just be like, no, dude, you are awesome. Killing it, really just like striving at life. You know, it's amazing. It's impressive. Despite all these challenges, what you've accomplished, you know, I can really give myself a lot of props now and I can do it just because I need to. This is really, really important to be able to do that. And um, that to me is the heart of codependency is a just it's a lack of self-love you'll hear people say and it just is it's just all of these patterns of behavior are the behavior of a person who does not love themselves that's the bottom line all of the sickness and all those things and these patterns and the way that engage with other people is because we are using them to derive our value and when you do that it is bound to be a problem you cannot derive your behavior, your value, internal value cannot be derived from other people. If you want to be happy in this life, if you want to learn to live and, and thrive as a codependent person with all the beautiful character traits, kindness, giving, loyalty, and all that. If you want to survive with it, you have to learn to love yourself. What a gift codependents are to this world. They are the best people you will ever meet. They're not something to be afraid of, not a disease, not sick people. These are people with amazing gifts who do not love themselves. And so that's what I just, if you remember anything, it's the most important thing is to learn to love yourself. And I hope that you do. Many of you are my friends now, and I'm so grateful for all of you for being my friends and for being here today. And I am glad that I can stop talking so that other people can have a chance. And I'm glad I set that timer. Thank you all for listening and being here. It's such a pleasure to be able to talk.